Good morning. If you have your New Testament or have your Bibles with you, please open them up to 1 Peter. Be reading from chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. I will be reading from the King James Version. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, established, strengthened, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, I thought that was odd that Carl wasn't leading the appropriate number of songs. We have a rule, and so I misunderstood, but what was really on my mind was, man, he got me again. <laughs> Take me a while to live that one down. would like to mention to you, uh, Ron gave me a note, uh, Nell's niece Sandy, her address is on the uh, bulletin board, so make sure you grab that. And uh, uh, send her a note of encouragement if you have opportunity to do that. I know that uh, that she would certainly appreciate that, and uh, that would uh, would help to encourage her on to uh, through the healing process. In his book "Stories to Touch a Heart," Russ Lawson told uh, of a sign that was placed in the window of a coat store in Nottingham, England, and it said this, We've been established for over 100 years and have been pleasing and displeasing customers ever since. We have made money and lost money. We have suffered the effects of coal nationalization, coal rationing, government control, and bad payers. We have been cussed and discussed, messed about, lied to, held up, robbed, and swindled. The only reason we stay in business is to see what happens next. Now that store owner was well aware of difficulties in this life. They come, they go, sometimes they stay a little longer than we would like for them to stay. But he understood that. Even uh, he understood that and wanted to survive even if only to hope for the best and to see what happens next. And as we look at that, As humorous as it is, I think we can find an application in the lives of the Christian from that statement. Christ's faithful have a much greater reason to endure the things in this life uh, greater than just to see what happens next, don't we? We have a great reason to do that. Christ's faithful uh, has been assured that uh, better times are ahead. Better times are ahead even if we're living in pretty good times right now. But especially if we're living in difficult times, there are better times ahead of each faithful person. In fact, when we read through the uh, the Psalms, 
those psalmists who compiled that particular book told us that even though the prosperous will wick, uh, will uh, uh, the wicked will prosper, the faithful will be avenged and will be treated fairly by God, no matter what happens in this life. And I think that's a point that we need to understand. There are greater times ahead, but it might not be in this life, right? God didn't promise that. He just promised ultimately things would be amazing and would be great for us. Now, there are times in this life when we need to be lifted up, right? There are times when we need to be lifted up, but there are times when the lifting needs to be done by the one who is down. I think we might need to understand that as well, right? It seems that some lose their uh, desire to continue to fight the good fight of faith, First Timothy uh, 6, verse 12. And then we look through our lives and we look at those around us who we love and, and a lot of the time it's, it's pretty easy and pretty obvious to realize that life jumps on us with both feet sometimes, doesn't it? Things happen that we do not want to happen. It makes us want to throw in the towel, so to speak, and to just simply stop trying. But that's never an option for the Christian, because of the great things that God has promised the faithful in eternity. Now, the Apostle Peter here described in his first letter the way in which we can lift ourselves up. And that's what I've entitled the sermon this morning, Lifting Ourselves Up, because that's necessary. We need to be able to do that, right? And I want us to notice as we go through this passage for a few moments this morning, that to begin with, Peter instructed his reader to surrender to the will of God. That's our first point. But how do we do that? How do we surrender to the will of God? How do we surrender to anything? How does a, a, an opposing army surrender to the victorious army? Well, we do it when we submit to the ruler of heaven. We surrender to God when we submit to Him. It's very difficult for humanity to submit to anything other than Himself, isn't it? No one likes to be submissive necessarily, do they? No one likes to feel like that that they're being told what to do or that they're being uh, uh, guided against their wishes uh, apart from things that they would love to have and things they enjoy doing. But the thing is, we live in a time, and nothing has changed since the the time that God's greatest creation began to be disobedient to Him. People in the world seek their own, for the most part, don't they? People in the world look after themselves, and, and there's a common saying in the world, you have to look after yourself because no one else will. You have to get it for yourself because no one's going to give it to you. Now, there may be instances when that's the case. Right? There may be instances when that's absolutely necessary, but not when we're dealing with God. Not when we're talking about the, the ruler of heaven and earth. We have to submit to Him instead of seeking our own. Paul told those in Colossae, uh, he gave them a very pointed instruction. And if we're going to be able to submit to Christ, we need to listen to it. We need to make that application in our lives today. We have to understand about Christ's preeminence. 
We do not submit to anything that is not preeminent to us, right? Uh, an opposing army will submit to a preeminent army, one that is greater, one that is better. But he told those in Colossae, Colossians 1 verse 18, speaking of the Christ, he said, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. Now let's remember that word all. In all things he might have the preeminence. And he, he made a very similar statement to those in Ephesus. He told the Christians in Ephesus that Christ was, Ephesians 1, 20, uh, 1 through 23, that Christ was the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. He makes a very similar statement, right? But we have to recognize that Christ's authority goes beyond just the activities of the church. Christ's authority goes beyond uh, a group of people who are called out of the world from the from a lifetime of sin. He goes beyond directing their evangelistic efforts. He goes beyond directing their personal habits. All of creation is subject, whether they realize it or not, whether they want to admit it or not, subject to the Christ. Not just in spiritual things, in all things, right? That's what Paul was saying. The writer of Hebrews acknowledged Jesus and the Father were co-equal. And he said Christ was, Hebrews 1 verse 3, the brightness of His glory, talking about the Father, and the expressed image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power. Upholding all things. When we look in Romans chapter 13, we learn that there's not a government placed in authority that God did not allow to be placed in authority. That doesn't mean He condones everything those governments do, but He allowed them to be placed in authority. And then uh, the writer continues, when He had Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. Now, if we're going to lift ourselves up, and we need to be lifted up from time to time, don't we? We always need to be lifted up out of the world of sin, but we must first surrender to the God of heaven. We do that by submitting ourselves. And there's another way we do it. By recognizing that He is sovereign. He is the ruler. He is the commander. He is the one who allows all things to happen in this world. doesn't mean that He endorses all things that happen. But He has set this world in motion and He's given us the ability to choose. And whatever happens, He has allowed it to happen. Not that He caused it to happen or that He endorses it when it does happen. But He has allowed us to make mistakes if that's what we choose to do. But we have to recognize His sovereignty. Now, to be clothed in humility, that's what Peter's commandment was, literally means to wear the apron of a slave. Wear the apron of a slave. And someone says, well, that doesn't sound very appealing at the, at the onset. Well, we need to look at it from God's standpoint. We need to look at it from the standpoint of heaven. God is not going to mistreat anyone. Now, there are masters and, and rulers in this world. Slavery is still going on in certain places in the world. And they mistreat those people. 
given the opportunity and the choice, they would leave that situation, but not God's people. Because God treats His people well. And so they willingly place upon themselves the apron of a slave. Now Jesus is our greatest example of that, isn't He? When He washed the feet of the disciples, John 13, 4 through 16, He demonstrated that very action. It says, in the supper having concluded or being ended, He took a towel and He girded Himself around the loins. He He put the towel around Him as in the style of an apron and He began to wash those feet. And He would dry those feet with that towel. He willingly did that. And that's what we have to understand. He's our example, Peter said, or He's our example. And if He's our example, we ought to willingly put on the apron of a slave. Now, if we can learn the way of humility, we will be lifted up. But we have to make that choice, right? When people seek to set themselves up, God doesn't receive glory and honor, does He? God doesn't receive those things. But if we place ourselves under His authority, if we submit to Him, if if we recognize His sovereignty, in other words, when we surrender ourselves wholly to Him, He will use us for His glory. So if we're going to lift ourselves up during trying times, or any time, we have to understand that we have to surrender to the will of God. And then... We have to strengthen our lives in Him. That's our second point. We have to strengthen ourselves. Now, how do we do that? Well, there are any number of ways that God has provided for us to understand things we need to do. We're refreshed daily by the renewing of our minds. That's one way in which we uh, strengthen ourselves. But, here's the point I want to talk about because it's the point Peter made. We strengthen ourselves by understanding the serious reality of Satan. Now, I'm not just talking about his existence. I don't know of anyone who's a follower of God that's going to deny the existence of Satan. There are very few people in the world in general that will deny the existence of Satan. They may misunderstand his, his characteristics or his traits or his abilities. But we have to understand the serious reality. What did Peter say? He said, be sober, be vigilant. That means we need to get serious about some things in this life. We need to get serious about some things concerning Satan. Who is it that wants to prevent us from lifting ourselves up? Well, Satan wants to do that. Who has set on making our lives miserable while we live in this world. Satan. Jesus believed in the reality of Satan. The Bible taught the reality of Satan. And the person who wants to get to heaven better understand the reality of Satan. And understanding Satan and understanding the things that go on in this world, we better recognize it goes way beyond a mental assent that there is an individual named Satan. It's the same thing with understanding what faith does for us. What is faith? Well, faith is an obedient action towards something that we believe sincerely in, right? 
But we have to have a truth to back up that sincerity. We can be sincerely wrong. A mental assent that Jesus Christ is the Son of God does not save the individual. James said the devils believe and tremble. Yet we understand that the wicked spirits of departed men are not going to reside in heaven eternally. But they still believe. Many of the chief Jews believed, yet they would not confess Christ. So faith goes way beyond that. And so we have to understand the reality of Satan. He wants us to believe a mental assent that he exists or that Jesus exists is enough. Now, do we have to confess that Satan is the adversary of mankind? No, that hasn't been required for us. But if we're going to believe and repent and confess Jesus is the Son of God, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins, and then live a faithful life, we better recognize the reality of Satan and how he operates in this world. We better act like we believe he's real. Because Jesus said, or excuse me, Peter said he is our adversary. And we understand what that means. That means to be an opponent or an enemy, someone who wants to cause harm. He's also called the devil, which means slanderer or false accuser. He does anything within his power to be able to get us to fall. And now this Satan that we're talking about in the modern world, in today's world, is the same Satan who tried to destroy and take away everything from the man Job. Job 1, 6 through 12, in chapter 2, 1 through 7. He is the same one that wants us to believe we can do anything we want as long as we want to and as long as we want it. He's that same person. He's the same person who wants to see us fail, but the sooner we realize He is a serious reality, we can combat Him. We'll be able to strengthen our lives. Satan wants us to believe we can talk like the world, we can behave like the world, we can dress like the world, and that we can be a part of the world and still get to heaven. That's what the reality of Satan is. We better think about that, hadn't we? Those of us who who wish to get to heaven better get serious about the realities of Satan. We can't live just however we want to and get to heaven. God's not going to allow it because He's a righteous and a just God. Every sin carries with it the penalty of death. Now, thankfully for us, Christ paid our penalty, didn't He? Acts 20, verse 28. He gave Himself on the cross. He purchased the church of God with His own blood. Now, those who wish to get to heaven, we better understand the reality of Satan and we must also understand and realize the ferocity of Satan. Peter compared him to a lion. Satan and a lion have much in common. A lion is uh, is forceful. The lion has the strength 14 to 21 times that of a man. We can't combat a lion on our own, can we? Have you ever watched a, a nature program and they go on a on a hunt, or they go to capture a lion to put a tag on that lion, or whatever the case may be. Do they go empty-handed? Do they go alone? Never seen that. You know why? That person didn't make it back. That person didn't make it back with his camera. 
And so we're not aware of those people that have done that. Satan is the same way. Michael refused to fight Satan, Jude 9. I don't believe it was for fear of Satan, but I think it is because he recognized Satan's ferocity and he allowed God to handle it, right? Satan is much stronger than humanity and we can't fight him on our own. Or we'll be just like the individual that goes to capture a lion with a fly swat. Not going to happen, right? A lion is also ferocious. A mature lion can eat 30% of his body weight right now in one meal. 30% of his body weight. They're famous for being the king of the uh, beasts and king of the jungle, right? They rule over wherever they are. And all who encounter a lion, they treat that lion with respect, don't they? They don't treat the lion with respect, and we're not talking about honoring that lion per se. No reason not to, to, to honor God's creation. But we need to look at that in the same sense of Satan. We need to respect Satan, not because we, we hold him high, that he's someone to be mimicked, but we need to respect his abilities, right? We need to respect his abilities. I told someone the other day, I said, you know, college football's kind of lost its allure to me because Alabama wins all the time. I don't like Alabama, but I respect their abilities. I respect their abilities. We better respect the abilities of Satan. Now, why is that? Paul talked a little bit about that in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 4. He talked about some of the abilities of Satan. He said uh, that they shouldn't be shocked or surprised that there were false apostles in the world that were going about. And that's what the Second Corinthian letter is all about. Paul defending himself, defending his apostleship, pointing out the false apostles. And he said, don't be shocked or surprised at that. He said that he is able to deceive us because he also presents himself as an angel of light. That's his ability. We better, we better recognize that. We better have respect for that. Also, lions are also fearful, aren't they? You come across a lion, I don't want to come around the corner and there'll be a lion there. I can recall the last time I was in, in uh, India, I happened to be in northeast India. I was in the jungle. We were stuck in the jungle. And, uh, we tried to get to a village that was in the jungle. The road had washed away. And so I was sitting in the van. I was letting the young guys push. And plus there were all kinds of uh, uh, leeches around. And so I was sitting in the, the van. But before I got to the van, I was noticing that a couple of the guys that were the uh, the natives there that were taking us to where we were going and were translating for us, they kept looking around, looking around, looking around. And I went up and asked this one individual. His name happened to be Barnabas. I said, what are you looking for? I thought he might have been looking for the uh, the terrorist group who had been through that village and had been destroying and, and murdering whole villages. He said, I'm looking for tigers. I said, look, brother, that's not funny. I don't find that humorous. He said, neither do I. He said, I'm looking for tigers. And so a lion, in the same sense, is very fearful. I didn't want to come out from behind one of those trees and pull back some bushes and there be a tiger. They're fearful. Why? What's the point of that? Did you know a, a mature lion can roar and his roar can be heard up to five miles away? And he does it mostly at night. And he does it to instill fear. 
That's the whole purpose. To instill fear in another lion or lions who may usurp his, uh, his authority or who may come in and usurp his position in that particular pride. But he also does it to uh, allow his enemies to understand he's there. Don't come. Don't come over here. Well-known uh, bloodlust between lions and hyenas, and they want to stay out of each other's area, right? Well, Satan wants to put fear in our hearts. He wants to roar and he wants to put fear in our hearts because he's fearful. He wants us to be fearful. He wants us to believe that when things are going wrong, we can't do better and we might as well just simply give up because life at times can be very difficult, can be very scary. God wants us to to lift ourselves up, but Satan's going to do all within his power to prevent that from happening. But the good news is he can be defeated. James 4, 7, if we resist Him, He'll flee from us. But we have to be absolute. We have to stand firm. We must not give in to the ploys of Satan and never give up on God. We better get serious about not letting Him have our honor, having our families, or having our lives, because He wants all the above. If someone came into our homes to do harm to our loved ones, I can guarantee you one thing. We're going to get serious about that individual. We're going to get serious about that person who comes into our home and wants to harm those who we love. And Satan is no different. We better get serious about Satan. How can we lift ourselves up when difficult times come, when we feel like throwing in the towel and giving up? We have to surrender to the will of God. We have to recognize God's sovereignty. And finally, we have to see His work. That's our third and last point. We should recognize and be thankful for God's grace. What what better reason in the world to lift ourselves up in recognition of God's grace? Now, while we live through this life, there are going to be difficult times. There are going to be times that we don't appreciate. And while we fight the good fight against Satan each day, during some of those days and some or worse than others, we're going to be burdened with the worries of that day and the worries of next week and the worries of that week after that. And so we have to monitor ourselves and understand we need to see the work of God going on and grace is one of those works. You know what is sufficient for us in this life? Second Corinthians 12 verse 9, the same thing that was sufficient for Paul. My grace is sufficient for thee. What had Paul been pleading with God about? For three times, he asked him to remove that thorn that he had, the thorn in the flesh, he called it. He had some kind of a disability that was affecting his life, and he pleaded with God to remove that, and God said, My grace is sufficient for thee. His work was sufficient for Paul. You know, God did not promise that we wouldn't have a rough time. But here's what He did promise. He promised, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that there'd be no temptation that could ever overcome us. He never promised to lift every load, flatten every hill, and to make every rough spot smooth. But He did promise that if we live a faithful life, He'll get us through the burdens of the things we worry about. He'll help us get over the mountain. He will smooth the rough spots that we have to negotiate at some point in eternity. 
In fact, Jesus said, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what He's promised. His grace is sufficient for us. To lift ourselves up, we need to see the grace God has given us, and we need to also see the glory that we will experience. When suffering days are over, here's where the faithful child of God will be. He'll be in heaven understanding and seeing that glory. We need to be able to recognize and see that glory now. Now, we can't comprehend it in its fullness, how great and how glorious heaven is. But our Lord said in our passage that He would perfect us, He would establish us, He would strengthen us, and He would settle us. So when's that going to happen? I think that's a fair question. When am I going to be strengthened? When am I going to be settled? When am I going to be established? When am I going to be perfected? I need to know those things, and He's left that for us. That's an encourager, isn't it? It'll happen when we leave this life for eternity if it never happens in this life. We'll go to a land where the troubles are not allowed to enter. Revelation 21, 27. We'll go to a world where the difficulties and the tears of this life will be wiped away. Revelation 21, 4. It's a place where the burdens of this life will be replaced with glory, Romans 8, verse 18, and peace, 2 Corinthians 4, 17. It is a place where Satan cannot follow. And it is a place where God is light. It's a place where trouble, problems, and trials can no longer interrupt the lives of God's people. Let's look forward to that day, much in the same way Paul did, 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. But let's live in such a way that we're able to lift ourselves up and continually fight for our souls and our lives because Satan wants to take both of those and those of our families and our friends. Do you need to be lifted up today? Do you need to be lifted up today? Sometimes I need to be lifted up. And sometimes I have to be the one to do the lifting. We need to ask this morning, If we're in need of being lifted up, am I surrendering to the will of God? Do I recognize His sovereignty? And am I willing to see His grace and the glory I can be a part of? If that isn't the case, that can be changed today. If you have never obeyed the gospel, come to God today through faith, Romans 10, 17, repentance, Acts 2, 38, confession, Romans Romans 10, 9 and 10. And immersion in water so our sins can be washed away. Acts twenty two sixteen, so that we can, in fact, be saved. First Peter three twenty one. And live that faithful life of which Paul spoke. Second Timothy four, six through eight. If you've done that yet you become unfaithful, be lifted up today out of the sins of this world. Allow Christ's blood to cleanse you once again, first John one seven, by repenting of those sins, confessing uh, whether publicly or privately, and asking God to forgive you. If you need to answer this Lord's invitation at this time, please let that be known as we stand and as we sing.